Welcome to the Inside Scoop Live podcast, where indie authors get personal about their books, their writing, and their passions. I'm your host, Sherry Hoyt. Join me for some lively conversations with debut indie authors and seasoned veterans alike. It's a great place to find your next amazing read or even get inspired. So sit back and enjoy the show and let me know what you think. Hi, everyone. Joining me today is Mark Bellow, author of the Zachary Blake Legal Thriller series. He's here today to talk about the latest book in his series, You Have the Right to Remain Silent, as well as a cookbook, the Blake Lewin Family Cookbook of Traditional Jewish Recipes, which Mark wrote and released through the eyes of his protagonist, Zachary Blake. Before we dive into Mark's latest works, here's the inside scoop on the author. As an attorney and civil justice advocate, author Mark Bellow draws upon over 40 years of courtroom experience in his Zachary Blake legal thriller series. A Michigan native, Mark received his B.A. in English Literature from Oakland University and his law degree from Thomas M. Cooley Law School. After working extremely high-profile legal cases, Mark wanted to give the public a front-row glimpse of what victims face when standing up for justice. Combining his legal experience and passion for justice with a creative writing style, Mark not only brings high-quality legal services to his clients, but captivating novels to his readers. When Mark's not writing legal and political novels, he writes and posts about fairness and justice in the civil justice system on his website, The Legal Examiner, and Not Fake News. In his spare time, Mark enjoys traveling and spending time with his family. Mark and his wife, Toby, have four children and eight grandchildren. To learn more about Mark and his work, visit markmbello.com. Well, hi, Mark. Welcome back to Inside Scoop Live. Thank you. It's always lovely to be here. You know, when I heard you had a new book out, I was thinking to myself, oh my gosh, eight novels in your Zachary Blake legal series. Was this what you imagined when you first started writing? No, no. <laughs> you, know, you know, I'm as shocked as you are. <laughs> I intended... When I started to write one book, Portrayal of Faith was a book based on a personal case I handled as a lawyer. I promised myself as a bucket list item I would write it. I wrote it, and I thought I was done. (laughs) And here I am now eight books later. It's unbelievable to me. That's amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. So I guess before we go any further, maybe we should enlighten the audience a bit. Can you tell us about You Have the Right to Remain Silent? What is it all about? You Have the Right to Remain Silent, as you might have noticed, does not have betrayal in the title. That's that's pretty unique for me. <laughs> all, all seven previous Zachary Blake novels were betrayal something. Yeah. So it's a departure, not just in title, but in type. As you know, most of my books are uh, a case I handled or based on uh, some event that happened in the news. Right. And I've written fictional accounts of the border crisis in Betrayal at the Border, of a high school shooting in Betrayal High, of the Supreme Court nomination process in Supreme Betrayal, of a police shooting an innocent black man at a traffic stop in Betrayal in Black, of white supremacy and a bigoted president in Betrayal of Justice and Betrayal in Blue. So all of my previous books have been based on newsworthy events, if you will. Right. This book is a murder mystery, a falsely accused 
woman who, after the murder, and the victim is her husband, she is a conservative talk show host. Her husband is a liberal, progressive congressman, (laughs) and the husband ends up dead and dismembered, and she is accused of his murder. Mm. The twist is that she, when she comes home and finds him in bed deceased, she faints and does not wake up. She ends up in a hospital room in a catatonic state and cannot assist in her own defense. Her doctor, coincidentally, her psychiatrist, is Harold Rothenberg. And Harold Rothenberg is the doctor who treated Zachary Blake's now adopted sons in my first novel, Betrayal of Faith. Oh, right. So he's back. And, of course, when his patient is accused of murder, the first person he thinks of to help her out is Zachary Blake. Mm -hmm. And Zach takes on the case pro bono. And the question is, how does Zach represent a woman accused of murder who can't represent or defend herself. Right. And you have a right to remain silent is kind of a catchy play on words because she's literally silent. Right. So that's the twist, and Zach has to overcome silent condition. Did you break away from the betrayal in your title because it's a different type of novel than your previous Zachary Blake novels? The answer is yes, but, and the but is that I just thought it was a clever way of describing what both Zachary and his client, Mia Folger, were going through. Mm -hmm. The husband, you will find out if you read the novel, and I I, I don't want to give away too much, but they had a rocky marriage. The husband was guilty of infidelity, and I could have, you know, called it a betrayal novel based on infidelity. Mm-hmm betrayal of uh, vows or betrayal of, of trust or, or what have you. Yeah. I, I just thought that, wow, um, you have the right to remain silent when you're in a catatonic state and must remain silent is kind of cool. Yeah. That's the only reason I did it. Okay. Yeah. No, I love that title. It's perfect. And then I was trying to think of, you know, because I know previously you, you have based all of your stories on current events or like you said, events that you have Um, represented in your work. Um, So I was trying to think about a case that this related to. And the only one I could think of was, you know, years ago that most people these days probably haven't heard of, or the younger people anyway, was Lorena Bobbitt. Well, we didn't get to uh, how he was dismembered. But yes, if you want me to go to my roots, which is pulling events from the headlines and writing about them, absolutely. The Lorena Bobbitt case was certainly the story that inspired me to write the method upon which her husband was murdered mm-hmm. and the part of his body that was dismembered. I want to talk about character creation a bit. I thought you did an amazing job with Mia Folger because, you know, even though she's catatonic, readers really get to know her through the recollections of your other characters. So how difficult... Or how easy was it to develop her character and flesh her out that way? Well, I don't want to sound arrogant or anything like that. 
but I don't typically have difficulty. I mean, she's catatonic, and I, I get that aspect and why you're asking the question. Mm. But if you think about it, catatonic or not, history is history, and you tend to create, develop, and describe a character based on what he or she has done in the past. How they behave now and in the future is premised upon how they behaved in the past. So I didn't have any particular difficulty creating a character that was currently catatonic. The issue was, how did she and her husband behave? You might want to ask the same question about the congressman, because he's dead. He has no current or future input in the novel. He's gone. So describing him uh, and his relationship with his wife, who's catatonic, uh, was all based on their history together. Uh, I didn't have any particular difficulty doing that. Uh, And every other character I create, you develop their character, for lack of a better way to say it, Mm -hmm. and then how they act today, if they're still alive, is based on the development of that character, if that makes any sense to you. Yeah, yeah, that does. Of course, Zachary Blake is everyone's favorite character in spite of his ego. Uh, But I really like... Um, My favorite is Micah and Zach's relationship. They're really hard on each other, but you know, they just love each other like best friends. And so I really enjoyed that relationship, those characters together. Now, when when you describe Zachary and Micah, that to me, that's more difficult Mm. because you're developing a character from novel to novel to novel to novel. I'm now in my eighth Zachary Blake novel. And he's very successful, as you know. His arrogance, his cockiness, is necessary because a lawyer has to be, he doesn't have to be arrogant, but he does have to be confident. Mm-hmm. And I try to make Zach a good guy, yet it's hard to tone him down to a likable, for lack of a better way to say it, level, and not make him too arrogant or too cocky or have too much of an ego. Mike is more fun for me because I can just have fun with the guy. He's, he's successful, but he's not arrogant. He's not a handsome guy. He's not well-built. He's slovenly. <laughs> uh, he's got a great sense of humor. If you wanted to ask how much of me was in Zach and or Micah, it would be if you combined Zach and Micah and took them and made one character out of them, you might have something closer to me. Huh. Because one thing I don't have is a huge ego. Mm -hmm. But you have to be cocky. You have to be confident in your ability to be a good lawyer. Uh, And I consider myself a good lawyer. I also consider myself somewhat funny. I like to joke. I like to have fun. I'm known for a warped sense of humor, if you will. (laughs) My, My wife rolls her eyes at me all the time. Yeah. So there's some of Mikey in me as well. But he's much easier for me to write. That, that he's much more who I'm comfortable being than Zach is. And Zach has, has achieved a level of success as an attorney that Mark Bellow never achieved. So mm. there's that aspect, too. Right. I don't want to make him uh, more arrogant than is necessary. And I want him to be likable. But he's very successful, and he, he deserves his success. He's good at what he does. And part of being good at what you do 
when you reach that level of success as an attorney is this cockiness yeah. or arrogance or ego, as you described. Yeah. His ego has had to take a little bit of a backseat in this novel. And I was excited to learn that you introduced a new character named Sherry. And I was excited because I thought you named this character after me. And then I realized, <laughs> and then I found out she was a real person. And I'm like, what? <laughs> well, I, I named her after you, Sherry. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about Sherry. Well, first of all, you'll notice that her name's spelled a little differently than yours. Yeah. She's, she's S-H-A-R-I, and I think you're S-H-E-R-I. Correct. I met Sherry Bellitz, the real Sherry Bellitz, online. She is a frequent contributor to LinkedIn. Mm. She owns a jury consulting business, and she writes very, very neat little anecdotes and copy material to market her jury consulting business. Oh. So she'll take pieces of songs, popular songs from yesterday and today, and change the words to illustrate a point she was trying to make about how juries might be persuaded to do this or that, or might be thinking about that or this. And she's very clever, and I was drawn to her material, and we struck up a relationship, a business relationship. Yeah. <laughs> I told you I was married. Yeah. <laughs> a business relationship, as you and I have, for instance, right. on the internet. And I was fascinated by this whole jury consulting business. Is it uh, smoke and mirrors? Is there real psychology to it? Can a jury consultant really affect the outcome of a case? You know, what's the story here? So I invited her to appear on my podcast, Justice Counts. Oh. And she was a great guest on my podcast. She introduced me to a lawyer who had me appear on a podcast. And I watched her appearance on this woman's podcast also. And I was impressed with what she had to say and, and this rather engaging personality that she has and cleverness about her. And I thought, wow, if she was a fictional character, she'd be quite compelling. I love her. So I, as I'm developing this novel, I reach out to her and I say, you know, I've got a, an idea. Do you have a problem if rather than creating a fictional character based on you, if I actually used your name and your business and your talent and created a character based on the real thing? And she was not only flattered, but she was exuberant uh, about the idea. And she participated directly in it. Oh, wow. She critiqued those parts of the book that included her character. Mm -hmm. uh, we spiced her up a bit, and she approved all of that. And the rest is history. I think she's a great character. She's a terrific, um, I don't want to call her an antagonist, but uh, she collaborates with Zach. They're different people. They're both confident and cocky about what they do and how they do it. Zach wanted no part of her at the beginning. <laughs> Sherry was very intrigued with the idea and wanted to participate in the case and do her thing. And part of her participation in the development of her character was to convince Zach that he needed her. Micah recommended her mm -hmm. from a previous experience, and it was Sherry's job to close the deal over a dinner that she had with Zachary. And it starts there, moves forward, and, and there's a great bit of give and take and camaraderie that develops between those two characters. And I'm very pleased with how the novel came together 
after I created her character. Yeah, I love the addition of, of her character. I love the back and forth, you say, between her and Blake. And they were different, but they were so much alike, too, that it was it was fun to watch them interact. Will she make an appearance in any of your other novels? That I can't say. I would yeah. imagine she will, but I, I don't have any current plans for a new novel. And even if I did, I don't know that it would involve the need for a jury consultant. Oh, we'll right. Have to, we'll have to see. Yeah. Here's what I would say, Sherry. I would say that if there's a jury trial in any future case of Zach's, there's going to be some, at least some discussion about juries with Sherry. Okay. Now, at one point in You Have the Right to Remain Silent, Sherry is complaining about how much weight she's gained since meeting Blake. And this is where Jennifer, Zach's wife, introduces the Blake Lewin family cookbook of traditional Jewish recipes, which is an actual cookbook that you just published. So can you tell us a little bit about the cookbook? Well, you know, that was an afterthought. I had actually written most of You Have a Right to Remain Silent while I was playing around with the cookbook. So I never had any plans to introduce the cookbook in the novel. Mm. But it just fell into place when I wrote a part of the novel that had to do with Jennifer inviting Sherry over for dinner. And I said, hey, Mark, wouldn't it be clever? (laughs) (laughs) Wouldn't it be clever if you introduced the cookbook as something Jennifer uses to cook dinners at the Blake house. Right. And that's kind of how that came about. Yeah, it was perfect. So, so, yes, it was introduced in You Have the Right to Remain Silent, but it had already been written and it was published before You Have the Right to Remain Silent was. Okay. I just thought it was a great lead-in to the cookbook. Absolutely, absolutely. So tell us a little bit about the cookbook. The cookbook is the cookbook of my real family. I have a a rather large extended family. My extended family, the Rothenberg family, my mother's side of the family, came from Poland primarily and escaped Poland pre-World War II or post-World War II or during World War II. And there are several Holocaust survivors that are members of uh, our extended family. And unfortunately, many of my relatives perished in in the Holocaust uh, or during World War II. So they come over from Poland and they establish a family club. And my great-grandfather, whose name was Louis Rothenberg, all of his children and grandchildren create this family club. Mm. And it it is now 75 years old. Wow. Wow. Uh, It's probably close to 80 years old now, but we had a 75th family club anniversary party. And one of the gifts to all of the participants in the party was the Rothenberg family cookbook, which had recipes as old as 140 years in it of Jewish recipes. And I thought to myself, you know, this food is too good to limit uh, to what's left of our family. So, you know, how do I share this with the world? Right. And I thought to myself, I know, I'll create the Blake Lewin family cookbook and have Zachary Blake tell the story of his family on both sides of the Blake family, his mother's side, the Lewin family, his father's side, the Blake family. And he brings these recipes back from Russia and Poland. And the Russia part comes from my father's family. Most of them came from Russia, or mm-hmm. at least what was then known as Russia. Right. It might have been Ukraine. It might have been any of the other severed uh, parts of the Soviet Union. Mm -hmm. But uh, they 
were also escaping Jewish persecution in Russia and Soviet Jewry, I don't need to tell you, is at least to some degree similar to people trying to escape the Germans in World War II. Right. So I took these recipes, added a few of my wife's, added a few that we have from this family member and that family member who might not have been part of the club or part of the original cookbook. And I started to write anecdotes and create characters based on actual people <laughs> in my family and my wife's family. And some of it is fictional. Some of it are actual characters. I tell some jokes in the cookbook to set up a particular recipe. But writing is kind of an out-of-body experience for me. When I write a book and I finish it, I then sit down and read it. Mm -hmm. And if I don't like it, then I can't expect that a reader will like it. So I actually read my own books as a reader of primarily legal thrillers. I love Grissom. I love Steve Martini, uh, Richard North Patterson, uh, Scott Turow, and so on. I love reading legal thriller novels. So I tend to read my own work. Now, a cookbook was something new to me. I put this thing together. It was more notes than anything else. And I wrote it out in, in Word on a computer. Mm -hmm. And then I started to read it. And I, and I was laughing out loud at some, at some of the stuff that, <laughs> that I had written. And I said, hey, this is a lot of fun. <laughs> and I think readers will find the book entertaining as well as containing some great recipes. Absolutely. And if you like Jewish food, you'll love this uh, cookbook. And how many protagonists have their own family cookbook? Really? I mean, I think you started something new there. Yeah, really, really. Uh, that was the other fun thing to do was uh, most of these experiences, if true, were my experiences. Uh, there's a little story about Zach is going to get his mouth washed out with soap by his aunt. I don't know if you saw that or not. but I did see uh, that. All right, that was me. <laughs> I was mad at my dad, and I said something nasty about my own father. <laughs> and my aunt got upset at me and took me to the bathroom and <laughs> my mouth out was so. Oh, my goodness. So, I, you know, I, I think to do that today is kind of child abuse. I don't know. Right. But, <laughs> but back then, it was, it was done. And so the story was true. And Jennifer cuts off the story because she doesn't want Zach to admit that he said something bad about his father, I guess. <laughs> But the point I'm making is that a lot of these stories were uh, stories that actually circulated around my family. Mm -hmm. And the fun part was having Zach become me, if you will, and tell the stories in his family rather than mine. Yeah, definitely a unique cookbook. I love the way you rolled it out like that. Also, you, you should know that a lot of the names of the aunts and uncles are my actual aunts and uncles. Oh, wow. Okay. And the recipes, not all of them, but some of them, are attributable to the actual people whose recipes they are. Okay. Most famously, Great Grandma Pearl's cookie dough apple pie is my mother and her famous apple pie. I looked at that recipe, and it looked I'm, a little difficult for me to make. I, well, I, and I'm tearing here because I, I miss it and her. Aw, yeah. But she's a real person, and that's a real recipe. The problem is... I had to fill in some blanks because old Jewish recipes, to use a little Yiddish for you, the women would say a bissel of this and a bissel of that, which means a little mm -hmm. or a pinch. And you really didn't know, you don't really don't know the quantities. You have to experiment. So some of that is here in the book and I, it's hard to recreate and know whether I got it right. 
Right. But again, the, some of the fun of this was pulling the actual stories from family members and actual recipes of my own family and, and sharing them with my readers. Yeah. Uh, Aunt, Aunt Tibby, by the way, uh, whose recipe for German chocolate cake is terrific and trifle. I'll tell you the story behind that real quickly. Okay. Tibby is my wife. Oh. Her name is Toby. My nephew, Jeffrey, couldn't pronounce Toby, so he called her Tibby. Oh, wow. And Tibby has kind of stuck ever since. Uh, she's Toby, and everybody calls her Toby, but every, once in a while, somebody will kibitz and call her Tibby. <laughs> so I thought it would be cute to call her Aunt Tibby in the book, and the trifle recipe and the German chocolate cake recipe are her actual recipes, as is, by the way, the delicious scalloped potatoes recipe. Uh, oh. you, will, you should know, I presume you're not Jewish, but scalloped potatoes have a lot of butter in them. Right. You can't make scalloped potatoes and serve it with meat with butter mm. if you keep kosher. So this particular scalloped potato recipe has no milk product in it. Hmm. Now think about how hard it would be to make delicious tasting scalloped potatoes without butter. But my wife did it. Wow. And, that re and the recipes in the book. I got to check that out. So, and yeah. I, I kind of made a, a short list of the recipes I wanted to try. And I have a sweet tooth. So most of the ones that I highlighted are sweets. And one of them was Tibby's German chocolate cake. Right. The other one was Aunt Sylvia's banana cake. Aunt Sylvia's banana cake. By the way, my wife makes a great banana cake. And she got angry at me. Not, you know, I'm not talking to you for 20 years, but that, that I used Aunt Sylvia's. But between you and me, don't tell her. I like Aunt Sylvia's banana cake better than my wife's. Oh, I won't tell. <laughs> it's a great banana cake recipe. <laughs> and that's, that recipe was pulled right from the cookbook, right from uh, the Rothenberg family cookbook. Wow. Well, I think it's a wonderful tribute to your family, and it does sound like it was a lot of fun to make, and, or put together, rather, and I, I love it. I'm going to try some of the recipes, and I'll get back to you. Did you read the golf joke? <laughs> I didn't read through all of the recipes. No, that, you know, it's funny. I put a few little jokes in here, and they're just jokes. It, it, it really had nothing to do with my family, but, it, <laughs> but it, it's kind of funny. It's uh, part of the Aunt Tibby's trifle recipe on page 13. It goes okay. like this. This dessert is my second favorite dessert of all time. This is Zach Blake speaking, by the way. Mm -hmm. A second only to Great Grandma Pearl's apple pie. Heavenly. Tibby couldn't see very well. The kids thought her Coke bottle glasses were funny. She used to bring me things and ask me to read the fine print, instructions on prescription bottles or recipes. She still managed to cook, bake, and make everything taste delicious. Zeta, which means grandfather in Yiddish, used to tell the best Tibby story. Probably not true. And Tibby decides to take golf lessons in her 80s. One day she goes golfing with Uncle Mushka. Mushka had great vision, but not the best memory. So Tibby steps up and says, you know, Mushka, I don't see very well. Watch this ball for me. Mushka agrees and Tibby hits the ball. Did you see where it went? Tibby asks. Sure, Mushka replies. So where is it? Tibby wonders. I don't remember, Mushka confesses. <laughs> <laughs> this is what it's like growing up a Blake. <laughs> Oh, so, you know, I try to make it entertaining as well as uh, having great recipes in it. Yeah. And I saw that joke somewhere or other or heard it years ago, and I thought I would include it in, in, yeah. <laughs> in the book. Now, Mushka and Tibby are 
actual people. Uh, Mushka lived to 102 years old. Wow. My wife does have Coke bottle glasses, wears contacts most of the time. And I, that's what prompted the telling of that little anecdote, that's which lovely. isn't true, by the way, which isn't true. They never went golfing together. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure my wife ever met Uncle Mushka. He was a funny guy. Yeah. Well, I love the idea of the cookbook. I love how you tied it into your latest Zachary <laughs> Blake story. It's, you know, you're just really branching out this year, huh? Uh, yeah. Tell all your friends I need to sell some books. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> now you said earlier you don't have plans for another novel. Is that just currently or are you done? You're not done, right? Oh, I don't think so. I I don't have a particular novel going right now. I just finished You Have the Right to Remain Silent. I'm very pleased with it. It's a departure for me and I'm pleased with the outcome considering it's not something I've written in the past. Mm-hmm. We haven't discussed it yet, but we I wrote a children's book and I've written four more that are done, but I need them illustrated. So uh, they're going to be written and released uh, one by one on either social justice or safety topics. But I don't have a novel yet uh, in the works. Okay. Well, I would love to have you back to talk about your children's book, if you're agreeable to that. That would be great. Okay. I would be happy to do that. Wonderful. Well, Mark, I appreciate you joining us today to talk about your latest Zachary Blake novel and your cookbook. I loved hearing about your family cookbook and the stories behind it. It's important. It's legacy, right? So, Absolutely. And by the way, I, you know, that particular story I just read was an actual joke I heard. Mm. Uh, there are many stories in the cookbook that are true, like the one I told you about, the, about washing, your, washing the kid's mouth out with soap. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Not necessarily a very positive story, but but uh, <laughs> the way it's told in the in the cookbook is kind of funny. Wow. So again, uh, a lot of the stories and depictions of characters are of real people, yeah. which was a lot of fun from the standpoint of remembering fondly members of my family. Absolutely, yeah. Well, thank you, Mark, and for sharing with us. And I look forward to talking with you again real soon. Thanks, Sherry. I appreciate it. Thank you for joining me today for my interview with Mark Bellow, author of You Have the Right to Remain Silent and the Blake Lewin Family Cookbook of Traditional Jewish Recipes. To learn more about Mark and his work, visit his website at markmbello.com. And be sure to check out our other interviews on InsideScoopLive.com.